Welcome to the official Old Patrol HQ podcast. I'm Gil Maza, an agent for almost 24 years out of the San Diego sector. I've always admired and respected our rich, action-packed, and colorful heritage. My journeymen were hardcore, kick-ass alien catchers, and they passed on their knowledge, experience, and all their bad habits <laughs> onto the next generation. This podcast is dedicated to making the Old Patrol come alive and celebrate the history, heritage, and legacy of all things Old Patrol with a few shenanigans along the way. We will explore all the great customs, traditions, experiences, and adventures that make the patrol the best job on the planet. Ain't no patrol like the Old Patrol. Honor first, honor always. Greetings to all my Old Patrollers, families, and friends. And welcome to episode two of the Old Patrol HQ podcast. I'm your host, Gil Maza, a Border Patrol agent for almost 24 years, now serving uh, out of the San Clemente Station. Originally, I was out of the El Cajon Station for the first 22 years of my career, and then I transferred over to San Clemente for my last three. I actually retire mandatorily uh, next March. Today, we're going to take a brief survey through the history of our beloved patrol, and look through the early reports of the Commissioner General of Immigration from 1923 through to 1927. In doing my research, I came across these reports and what I found was simply astounding and amazing. The way our agency was established, was created, was spoken of in the very beginning makes you overwhelmingly proud to be part of this organization. Now, I'm not a historian, uh, like our own very own Joe Banco is, I'm simply going to present tidbits of the quotes and writings and then make some commentary as I go through. I leave the real historian work to the professionals. So here goes. We will start out at the passage of the Immigration Act of February 15, 1917, which adds qualifications for admission and increases the head tax of each immigrant coming into the United States to $8.00. The Commissioner General in uh, 1923 says this, Alien smuggling and the illegal entry of aliens without the aid of smugglers have always followed in the wake of restrictive immigration legislation. And very naturally, as such laws become more and more drastic, the problem of enforcing them grew increasingly difficult. For a long time, this problem, especially on the land boundaries, was largely confined to evasions and attempted evasions of the Chinese exclusion law, and later years, aliens of all races who, for one reason or another, could not enter the country in a legal way, have resorted to border running in ever-increasing numbers. Until the general immigration law of 1917 was enacted, the restrictions on immigration from Canada and Mexico were so mild that residents of those countries had little reason to enter illegally. They were exempt from the head tax which had long been imposed on overseas immigrants, there was no literacy test, and those who measured up to the rather simple requirements of the law were free to come in unlimited numbers. The Act of 1917, however, imposed a head tax of $8 on Canadians and Mexicans in common with other immigrants, and, like all the other peoples, they were subjected to the reading test provided in the law. As might have been expected, these two provisions immediately resulted in widespread evasions of the law, which our limited border forces have not been able to prevent. <laughs> then the Commissioner General goes on to explain the smuggling activities in Canada and then Mexico. The report from Canada says this, 
Officers in charge of various immigration districts along the Canadian border have reported at some length concerning smuggling operations during the past fiscal year, and the following extracts from their annual reports present a clear and interesting picture of the situation. The first district that reports here is the, uh, headquartered at Montreal, and it says this, as will be seen from the long list of prosecutions in the district, a large number of violators of the law have been discovered by officers in this district, to whom much commendation is due for the great effort put forth and the long hours endured on many occasions and in most earnest endeavor to uphold the integrity of the law. These officers have many times hazarded their lives to arrest aliens, being brought in motor cars, stopping them at night, and taking the smuggler and aliens with him into custody. This is a serious task and requires officers of the highest type of courage and integrity. Too much cannot be said in praise of those officers who have in times without number remained on duty for long periods while patrolling the roads adjacent to the border looking for illegal entries. Smuggling operations have increased in the past year and have placed a heavy responsibility on our border officers with the many warrant hearings and the court hearings incident thereof. Almost all of the aliens arrested were charged with the violation of the Passport Control Act, and this enabled us to ensure that they be sent to prison for various periods from a few days to several months in addition to a fine and the time they had to wait in prison for trial. When aliens were not subject to the Passport Control Act, um, it was not, of course, been possible to punish them for entering the country unlawfully, and all that could be done was to resort to the usual warrant proceedings, resulting in a serious expenditure for detention and transportation charges. <laughs> Nothing much has changed, has it? After the exhaustion of a number of the quotas last November, smuggling tended to increase, and our officers had to be on the alert day and night in order to apprehend aliens who either by themselves or with the assistance of others were endeavoring to gain unlawful entry. A number of automobile owners and drivers in cars in Montreal and places adjacent thereto have gone into the business of smuggling aliens from Canada to points contiguous to the border or to small towns south of the border where trains can be boarded for the larger centers of population. Sums as high as $100 <laughs> being paid for taking an alien into the United States. In a number of cases, these drivers have been caught and their cars turned over to, the customs, to customs for confiscation. An effort is now being made in this district to uphold these automobiles and have them confiscated for the benefit of our service. This is the most effective way to put the smuggling of aliens by car entirely out of business. A systematic control of the entire border is necessary if the law is to be upheld and a large influx of aliens who are inadmissible to the United States prevented. It is hoped that this result will result will be obtained in the organization of the Border Patrol Service, which is now being undertaken. There are a large number of invisible aliens, chiefly natives of the United Kingdom, now in Canada, particularly in the vicinity of Montreal, who cannot obtain quota certificates and who are awaiting an opportunity to enter the United States unlawfully and are being continually solicited by smugglers. It will thus be apparent that constant effort must be put forth by the officers to prevent a wholesale evasion of the law in this district, particularly in the section of Odensburg on the west of Newport on the east, as large numbers of aliens are out of work in the, on the Canadian side and are anxious to enter the United States by any possible method. 
Restrictive immigration legislation can never be enforced successfully until a provision is made to penalize aliens who enter in violation of law and more control is given over aliens who arrive at seaports in the guise of seamen. Officers on the boundary are almost daily capturing large numbers of aliens who have either walked across the boundary knowing it was unlawful to do so or have been taken in by professional smugglers of whom there are large numbers operating from the populous centers in Canada, alien smuggling being so lucrative that many professional rum runners have abandoned that occupation and gone into the alien smuggling game. Now, he now then talks about the Mexican border issue. The smuggling problem in the three Mexican border districts is also interestingly described in the following extracts from the district directors in charge. District number 22 headquartered out of San Antonio, Texas. The situation in this district with respect to the smuggling of aliens was summed up rather comprehensively in the last annual report and it may be stated that the menace from that score has not been lessened but on the contrary it has expected that the new immigration act with its added restriction will result in a further influx of undesirable european aliens to mexico with the sole object in view of effecting illegal entry into the united states over the rio grande increasing activities in attempting smuggling are not expected to be confined to Europeans, however, for the new law requires an immigration visa in the cases of Mexican immigrants, and a majority of the Mexican laborers coming to this country will be classed as non-quota immigrants. This $10 immigrant visa, added to the $8 head tax, will undoubtedly cause many Mexicans to attempt what they think is the cheaper way to the United States vis-a-vis the route of the contraband. As the Bureau knows, the many miles of winding river afford ample opportunities for aliens to cross almost at will. Only in rare instances it is, possible, is it possible to apprehend aliens as they cross the river. This could not be accomplished unless there were a man for every hundred yards of riverfront, and this would require an army. Well, that must be the germ idea for exes, right? <laughs> The only hope is to catch these contraband aliens at points where the trails from the river began to merge. The inspector in charge at Brownsville in his annual report for this year to this office has given a very graphic account of the activities or the difficulties encountered in dealing with Mexicans who operate boats at illegal crossing places. I quote from this report. There is little difficulty in smuggling an alien from Mexico across the line into this country or in the alien or in the alien entering unassisted for that matter. The river is not wide at certain seasons of the year and some places it brings uh, becomes a mere trickle. This office estimates there are at least a hundred persons living on the Mexican side opposite points in this jurisdiction who earn their living chiefly by operating illegal ferries and bringing aliens into the United States. The work of the officers here in the past two years in apprehending and destroying boats used as ferries has largely forced them to abandon their large boats made of lumber and of galvanized sheet iron and to resort to patos as they are known among the smuggling fraternity, made of a willow framework tied with willow widths and covered with a cheap canvas or wagon sheet. This canvas can be tied on or taken off the frame in a moment and then carried under a man's arm. The frame can easily be hidden in the brush and if it should be found and destroyed 15 minutes work with a machete, and no one ever saw a Mexican of this class without a machete, will construct another. These illegal ferrymen oftener than not own a small farm on the river. 
Then the alien Mexican or European gentleman, criminal or Bolshevik, it makes no difference, wants to cross this ferryman merely removes his boat cover from the wagon or haystack where it serves him between times, proceeds to the river and pulls his frame from the brush where it has been hidden, ties on the cover, places it in the water and it's ready to and actually does take the passengers and in a few cases contraband liquor also into the country. Before placing this boat in the water, he carefully spies out this side and probably calls to some paisano on the side on this side if one is in sight and ascertains that no gringo officers are in that vicinity any mexican resident on this side will cheerfully abandon his work whom he is always in sympathy and also for the reason that this kind of work does not call for much effort in spite of the inhibitions of section 8 or any of other section which the ferryman is probably ignorant of and which in any event he would cheerfully ignore he more often than not successfully lands his passengers and returns to the other side and safely he and his passengers go on their way happily congress has awakened to the seriousness of this situation and has appropriated a very substantial sum for the purpose of protecting the land boundaries of the united states this is most encouraging to the officers on the border who have devoted many years of their lives in a patriotic but obviously vain effort to prevent smuggling with a small force of men and a limited appropriation, realizing all the time that they were powerless to cope with the situation under that handicap. This district has been promised an increased patrol force, and if the number of men asked for is given, and they are men who have a thorough knowledge of the Spanish language and Mexican border conditions, and are temperamentally fitted for this particular type of work, and proper transportation facilities are furnished, it is believed that the smuggling situation in this district can be effectively controlled. Many unforeseen conditions will undoubtedly arise, but with the increased force and appropriation, the officers will go into the fight with renewed energy and confidence. Time alone will show the results. Now here is a report from District 25, headquartered in El Paso, Texas. In the nature of things, the smuggling of Mexican aliens over this border constitutes a problem which will persist as long as there are immigration laws to be enforced and to enumerate the various angles of alien smuggling so far as it concerns Mexicans would be merely to repeat previous annual reports of this office in which matters were already set forth in detail. Chinese smuggling operations across the Mexican border at points within this immigration district amount to little or nothing at this time. The principal alien smuggling problem which we are now have to deal with has to do with Europeans seeking illegal entry by way of Mexico, most of whom are prevented by the terms of the restrictive immigration law from securing admission at American seaports. There are thousands of aliens in Europe who are previously resided in this country and who desire to return here, not only because of depressed industrial conditions abroad, but because they know from first-hand experience that labor conditions in this country are far superior to those in Europe, even in normal times. Thousands, perhaps millions, of others possessing general knowledge of the better labor and living conditions in the United States and tired of waging a losing fight with the economic situation existing in their respective countries, have fixed upon the United States as their goal. While the limitations created by the Percentum Limit Act undoubtedly have had the effect of discouraging the majority of such aliens from translating desire into action, they have but intensified the desire as to thousands of others.
these latter upon being denied passport visas by American consuls because of exhausted quotas or for other good reasons, give ready heed to the suggestion of steamship agents and others that Mexico affords easy access to the United States. Reports received from time to time indicate that there are organized groups of smugglers having agents throughout Mexico and Europe who induce inadmissible aliens to take the Via Mexico route to the United States. One agent forwarding them to another until the border is reached, all for a financial consideration, of course. The majority of aliens are practically in destitute circumstances and the funds are supplied by friends and relatives in this country. Investigations made by American consuls in Mexico have developed that certain banks in the United States and Mexico are especially favored by residents of this country in making remittances for such aliens en route here too, and undoubtedly similar arrangements exist between certain American and European banks for financing aliens before they leave Europe. While there is reason to believe that the smugglers who are actually bring the aliens across the international boundary line into the United States are operatives of one or more of the organizations whose ramifications extends through Mexico and Europe, this has not been verified by convincing evidence, as in nearly every instance the smuggler as well as the contraband aliens when arrested claim to have been working independently or with local organizations. Sometimes the same smuggler takes the alien to the point of crossing, leads or carries him across the river at a shallow ford, or leads or conveys him by automobile across a land boundary and either places him on a train or conveys him by automobile to an interior point. Generally, however, these several transactions are attended to by different persons working with a common understanding. Some of the border smugglers, most of all of whom are Mexicans, are typical Apaches and when the international line is reached, do not hesitate to rob the aliens and then abandon them. There have been unconfirmed reports to that effect that in many instances the smugglers murdered their victims when they had reason to believe that they were in possession of large sums of money. The contraband aliens depart from the border on foot, in automobiles, and in passenger and freight trains. Outgoing passenger trains are inspected by immigration officers at border points, and in numerous instances, the contrabands have attempted to deceive the depot inspection officers as to their immigration status, hoping they will be permitted to proceed by train. Generally, however, those aliens who elect a journey to the interior by passenger train are first conveyed by automobile beyond the border town, to the nearest point where trains stop. But if there's an inspection officer there, they are transported by automobile around and beyond that expansion point before being placed on the train. This service must then depend upon local peace officers and others whose goodwill has been cultivated by immigration officers to further tele to furnish telephonic or telegraphic information about the transaction, which information may result in the alien's apprehension at the station still farther from the interior. So based on what I've already read, we can begin to see that the that there's a developing idea of a force that needs to be along the border and designed specifically to counteract the smuggling efforts of the organizations began to form even back then. The commissioner continues. It says this, with the assignment to duty of the additional officers to this district under the new title patrol inspectors, it is thought that the life of the smuggler will be made simply unbearable <laughs> and the attempts at illegal entry will shortly be confined to the individual and unassisted efforts of those immediately involved. 
In other words, the greater the degree of efficiency attained by the Bureau's officers, the fewer the concrete cases reflected in the records and the smuggling rings will be broken up. With the reins of border control so tightened as to render smuggling via the land routes too hazardous to be profitable, it would be foolhardy to imagine that the smuggling problem is solved in this district. It is certain that with the inauguration of adequate measures to compete with the land border situation, these interest, those interested in the smuggling of aliens will turn their attention more than ever to water routes. There are hundreds of miles of coastline now entirely unprotected. Thousands of fishing and other small craft ply these waters up and down the coast at all seasons of the year, and these watercraft can land aliens at almost any place they choose. Practically, all of these vessels are manned by aliens and they enter and depart from even our regular ports without clearance and without supervision of any kind from any government agency. It is, known, it is a known fact that vessels of this character are being utilized by the smuggling of liquor and narcotics and in the records show that they have been made available for the smuggling of aliens. This is a question that has been left unsolved and now we may expect that the imperative necessity of prompt action on the part of this service will shortly present itself. It is the opinion of the writer that both land and water forces will be necessary. All fishing and other small craft should be inspected by the officers of this service upon entering any of the ports in this district, careful check kept of all crews at all times, and every effort made to effect a complete control of the situation at regular ports. Without such a check, Changes in crew would be a matter of altogether too easy accomplishment to be overlooked by aliens seeking illegal entry. This would mean that there should have that we should have a government boat at San Diego, one in San Pedro, and one in Santa Barbara. In addition to the above, a land force is suggested whose duty would be to watch and check landings at other than regular ports. This force should be equipped with mortar vehicles and move from place to place as necessity may require, performing duty as to the coast similar to that contemplated for the control of inland routes of travel. Well, it looks like the seeds of uh, maritime enforcement, border of uh, control on the, um, on the coastlines. For a number of years, the Immigration Service has maintained a small and widely scattered force of mounted guards on the Mexican border for the purpose of preventing alien smuggling. Ordinarily, this force numbered somewhat less than 60 men, most of whom were especially chosen because of their knowledge of border conditions, and they have rendered conspicuous service in enforcing the law in that difficult territory. In fact, this small force has accomplished so much in the way of apprehending smugglers and aliens that in some sections of this vast southwest territory, border running has come to be regarded as an extremely hazardous occupation. But it has been hazardous work for the Immigration Service as well as for law violators. In the past few years, several of our mounted patrolmen have been killed in line of duty by desperate characters operating in the region adjacent to the Mexican border and along roads leading thereof. In former years, it was possible in a good many instances for inspectors of the Immigration Service to devote more or less time to the prevention of smuggling. But the large increase in the number of aliens applying for illegal admission on both the Canadian and Mexican borders during the more recent years, and particularly during the last, the last two years, has required the undivided attention of such officers. Now here is where the commissioner introduces the Immigration Act of 1924. 
And this Immigration Act is what contains the permission to start the U.S. Immigration Service Border Patrol in the Department of Labor. And this is what he says about the Immigration Act. He said, it will undoubtedly be considered the most important event in immigration history of the fiscal year that was the passage of the Immigration Act of 1924. Now, just to give you an idea of the financial appropriations that were made, this is where they sum up the financial statement or the um, budget for that first year. It says, for the enforcement of laws re relating immigration uh, into the United States, $3,300,000. For physical maintenance and upkeep of immigration stations, $110,000. For emergent alterations, repairs, and remodeling of buildings in the immigration stations, including Ellis Island and New York Harbor, $326,000. And salaries of, uh, for the Bureau of Immigration, $91,000 thousand eight hundred and forty dollars now once the in 1924 now the border patrol force is established now here's a report a year later on that new organization and this is a report out of El Paso Texas enthusiasm throughout the border patrol organization has been maintained at a high pitch during the fiscal year covered by this report listen to this Green men have been trained in the work to a comprehensively high degree of efficiency. There is much room for improvement in this respect. The utmost vigilance is being exercised to permit no person mentally, morally, or physically unfit to enter the patrol organization, and every effort is made to maintain it at a high standard. The morale, it can be truthfully be said, is most excellent. <laughs> The results attained considering the handicaps under which the Border Patrol has labored are most gratifying. By this, however, it is not intended to convey the impression that the Border Patrol organization has put a stop to the clandestine entry of aliens. A number of minor casualties and one fatality have occurred among the force during the year. The bravery, courage, coolness and resourcefulness of these patrolmen in times of stress and imminent peril constitute a chapter in the history of the border patrol which does not have its parallel outside of the annals of actual warfare conspicuously conspicuous gallantry and bravery above and beyond the call of duty have been displayed by practically every member of the force under circumstances and conditions of defense vastly inferior to those generally obtaining in actual warfare. These men suffer the handicap of being compelled to wait until they are fired upon before firing. They must announce themselves as government officers in challenging the smugglers and must not shoot first upon the assumption that they will be fired upon. This is one of the most difficult and trying problems incident to their work. The best and most efficient equipment, including transportation and weapons, is none too good for these brave men. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just, wow. I'm just, just reading this just makes me really sit in awe of everything that, uh, that how this organiza our organization started out. It goes on to say that in the act of appropriations for the Department of Labor for the fiscal year ending in June 30, 1925, Congress 
wisely made provision for the establishment and maintenance of an immigration border patrol force by appropriating $1 million for the purpose of which some not exceeding $38,000 was made available for the purchase and maintenance of motor vehicles. Congress apparently intended for the situ uh, and the situation demanded the immediate establishment of such a force and viewed in light of difficulties overcome, a history of the organization presents features of marked interest representing as it does the accomplishment of a great purpose. At the outset, the Bureau was confronted by the task of deciding upon the nature of the organization to be created, the manner in which it would most effectively be operated, and the personnel required. In consideration of these matters, it was little, very little to serve as a guide since an organization of this nature was unique in governmental circles. A thorough survey of the situation was immediately undertaken, and it was decided that a force of at least 500 men, including officers in charge, would be required to form the nucleus of the organization. After careful analysis, it was apparent that the appropriation available would not permit of equipping and maintaining even at a minimal salary of $1,680 per year for patrol inspectors, a force of more than 450 employees, and this was the number decided upon. The question then presented itself as to how it would be possible to recruit this force. As there was no civil service register for eligibles for this position of patrol inspector available from which selections could be made. In finding a solution for this difficulty, the Bureau received the most helpful cooperation of the Civil Service Commission, which consented to the selection of men from the railway, postal clerk, and immigration inspector registers until such a time as an examination could be held. Only a very few of those on the immigrant inspector register were willing to accept appointments as patrol inspectors, owing to the latter positions being placed in a lower grade. Consequently, <laughs> practically the entire number of those originally appointed were selected from the Railway Postal Clerk Register. It was clearly apparent from the outset, listen to this, for the most part the men on this register were not qualified for the position of patrol inspector and this was early demonstrated by the large turnover which amounted in, to approximately 25% in the first three months. So fast did resignations occur that the register soon became exhausted and consent was obtained to make temporary appointments pending the establishment of a patrol inspector register without regard to civil service regulations. With the establishment of this register from which eligibles were selected, only after being given careful examination to determine their fitness, many of the former difficulties were overcome and an opportunity was offered to create a really effective organization. Thank you for joining us for the first half of the brief history of the Border Patrol in the words of the Commissioner General of Immigration back from 1923 to 1927. Please join us for the epic second half in episode 3. Also, don't forget to visit the Old Patrol HQ store for all things Old Patrol at oldpatrolhq.bigcartel.com. You'll find all kinds of new stuff there, coins, badges, shirts, all the things you can't live without. A happy 96th birthday to the finest law enforcement agency on the planet. Honor first, honor always. <laughs>